From the Oxano Podcast Network, welcome to My Ministry Breakthrough, hosted by me, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about pastors sharing unfiltered stories of moments large and small, of times when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. Utilize the moments that are already there. You don't have to create right. anything new. Yeah. Not to proselytize, not to give them flyers, not to try to get them to come to your church. And I mean, if the Spirit is leading that way and they're open and they're asking, great. But our job is not to get them to come to church. Our job is to help them see Jesus. And that's only going to start by building trust and relationship. Is the church meant to only grow larger and larger? Is numerical growth and adding more services, more chairs, and more people a true representation of success for the church? What if success didn't look like what you had been told? What if you served at a church for 20 years and it is the same size today as when you arrived on day one? Jeff Meyer began leading the church as a senior pastor two decades ago, and the journey has not been what he dreamed it would be. He started as a teacher and theologian, prepared well by seminary to preach and keep his congregation engaged. 20 years later, he now calls himself the chief missionary maker of the church and sees the priority of his calling as a people trainer and mission equipper. Jeff has seen members leave the church because he went on a sabbatical and seen others leave because he returned from sabbatical. Through every up and down, a deep sense of clarity about who the church is uniquely called to be keeps him connected to his ministry. Jeff's heart is for the church to be turned inside out and for a day to arrive when every member of the church lives with a deep desire to be sent to their neighborhood above wanting to just sit in a service. Lean in and listen up to my ministry breakthrough with Jeff Meyer, senior pastor of The Church, Yes, that's their name in Madison, Wisconsin. You're sitting in your, what looks like an, a home office right now. Is that correct? I am, Brian. And, yeah. and I can see over your left shoulder, there's a lot of snow. Where are you and why do you live there? <laughs> that's awesome. Southern boy like you. Uh, <laughs> I live here because it's an awesome city. I live in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, a very progressive forward-looking city uh, that has tendency to get cold at times. You're right. Um, but I live here because I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you guys, it, it's the heart of winter right now for you. About five inches of snow on the ground, you said? Yeah. And a big storm coming tonight. So big storm we've, coming had, we've had the most unusually uh, warm and snow-free winter until two days ago. So we're, get, we're getting caught up real quick. Hashtag blessed. Yeah, it's like it's like hashtag three right oh now. Oh my goodness. It's three degrees outside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. You know there's places where it doesn't, I mean, you can still get a little snow, but it doesn't get like that cold. I, I understand. Why Madison, Wisconsin? How did the Lord lead you there? And, and what is it that, that he is doing in your life there that's, this is your connection to this place? Well, he called me uh, through a call process out of a church in uh, another church before I was here in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. And, um, I, I just felt called to the, to the city mm. even more so than to the church, uh, the church too. But I felt like if churches are going to reach their city, they, they have to embrace their call as missionaries. And I felt like this church calling me was asking me to do that. 
and it was giving me the opportunity to learn with them, um, to learn alongside of them as a sojourn leader. Uh, because honestly, it wasn't something that I was trained to do. I was trained to be a pastor to take care of the people within the walls, and I felt a calling outside of the walls. And I felt like this this church gave me the opportunity to to learn that. How to learn did you, as an individual and as a family, but then also to help others in learning it. How did you sense that? I mean, what was it that God used to to awaken you to the calling beyond just the inside the walls of the church? Well, uh, one of the key uh, times for me was a trip to India. Okay. Um, with Mission India, I don't know if you're familiar with that organization, but uh, they take uh, American pastors over there and give them a hospitality tour, they call it, and show uh, the, the mission field and what's happening in India. And I just got, I got kind of wrecked over there that, um, that, what, that what we're doing in the church was not uh, training up missionaries and readying Christians and Jesus followers to be fully engaged in the community. What we were doing was um, just taking care of Christians. And mm. if the church was going to be relevant in the future, it was going to look more like India than, than le- and le- less like what it's looked like in America. So I just felt that call and that nudge. I was in 2000. So um, we came back and, uh, you know, trying to explain that experience to my wife who wasn't with me. Yeah. It's always interesting. We come back to our cul-de-sac and realize that we don't, we don't know any of our neighbors mm. and we don't have any relationship with them whatsoever. And it just kind of began to open my eyes to where I lived and the people that were around me and how I needed to, I needed to understand my calling was I was an outsider. And what do you mean? What do you mean? Um, the same way that Jesus was an outsider. Um, we are no longer in control of the conversation in our communities. You mean the church in general? Church in general. Yeah. Jesus followers are no longer in a place of determining the conversation or pacing the conversation. So is that, wait, real quick there, is that, you mean like historically we have been more oriented toward the things of God, toward the church? Yeah, and we are inside. We are in an insider's position. Um, we we used to have we used to have a voice in the public square. We don't anymore. Um, so we have to learn how to engage from an outsider's perspective instead of an insider. An insider protects and preserves. Right. An outsider has to penetrate mm. and permeate, and yeah. you do that by listening. You do that by engaging in relationship. And that's what we're not real good at. I was in Acts 17 this morning, and I sense that's where Paul was in the Areopagus, uh, was that it was, he was an outsider kind of penetrating in using the language of their culture, using the language of their, of their prophets, and I'm holding up air quotes, uh, to really awaken them to the truth behind their truth. Yeah, I mean, what are some of the examples of that in Acts 17? I mean, he... He takes a little tour of the, of yeah. the and yeah. he uses, he uses a, a quote on a statue, you know, yeah. to God. Um, so in that way, he was listening to the to the culture. Um, I, you know, example of this yesterday uh, on Facebook, someone was posting a, a long quote um, on my Facebook feed uh, from a friend of mine. It was an anonymous quote, 
uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, right? So it was yeah. a quote about freedom and uh, oppression and, and, you know, all those things that Martin Luther King uh, stood for. And um, some woman that I don't know, I don't know how she got on the feed, responded. It looks like a quote that was written by a, uh, a um, white male. And that's all she said. Immediately, uh, three or four guys that were friends with the guy who originally posted it just took her to task. And you had this, you had this blown up thing. Instead of what we might have done differently in that setting was just to say, tell me more about that. You know? Why do, why do you think about, that? Why, yeah. why do you write that? You know? Yeah. And listen to her. Yeah. Now, I... I Facebook is not the place to have those conversations. <laughs> it's not our modern day Areopagus. No. Is that what you're well, saying? That's where conversations are happening. Yeah. And yeah. model listening a little better in those settings as well. Mm. And not having all the answers, but trying to understand where people are coming from. So we can actually have dialogue. What's that, that look like on the ground for you? That's what we're trying to train our people to do. Yeah. Yeah. What's that look like on the ground for you guys then? As you're training your people and probably we're all in progress so nobody's arrived yet. What does it look like on the ground in Madison, Wisconsin? I mean, it's a college town, right? Yeah. Yeah. University of Wisconsin. Go Bucky. All right. All right. <laughs> What's it look like for you guys on the ground to be more, I don't want to use the term missional because I think that's an overused term, but to be m- more missionary minded mm-hmm. in your town. Well, I'll give you a real concrete example. So last Sunday, uh, evening. We have our higher ground youth ministry on Sunday nights. And okay. last Sunday, I was privileged to sit in on one of those sessions. I'm not typically there. It's led by our youth director. And they invited me in to talk about um, having fierce conversations. And, and so what happened is those kids have been trained over the last three weeks. They've been practicing listening skills one-to-one, the the leader teaches them a concept, and then they team up and they have a conversation with another youth. So they're learning how to listen and how to engage in conversation. So I would say overall what it looks like for us is we're doing doing a lot less teaching and a lot more training. Mm. And um, sermons, for example, we will do a lot more with giving – giving assignments for people to go and practice. We uh, create environments in our learning uh, opportunities, learning environments like our 222, which is an adult Bible class time, um, sandwich schedule in between our two services on Sunday morning. Um, We're doing a parenting, the art of parenting right now, and parents are in there talking about how to parent in this generation with their kids. And so there's a a lot of training practicing, and then coming back and sharing their experiences. I would say very similar to Mark 10 or Luke 10, um, where Jesus sends out, sends them right. out, and they come back and they talk about what they experience. Right, right. Um, how, does that, how does that shift the conversation as leaders in the church? I mean, are you having some conversations at the leadership level about, hey, this is why we're doing this, is the importance of this? I'm assuming that that's a shift. Everybody's probably more used to, you know, sitting in the, in the, in the sanctuary on Sunday morning, getting their sermon and kind of heading out, grabbing some lunch, going home and getting back to it. 
Yep. Are you, how are you, how are you training your leaders from that level to, to lead and replicate that beyond just yourself? Every leadership moment environment is an opportunity to train. That's mm-hmm. how we're doing it. So um, unpack that a little bit. So yeah, like our board meeting last night, we, we had a, an opportunity to, to look at some relevant trends in our communities uh, using pre Pew research. Um, dot is, org, that, it is. is that a regular part of your leadership meetings? Did yep. you kind of revisit what's yep. going on in the community? What's going on? How often do you do that? I do a, I do a trend um, sharing in some respect once a quarter. Okay. Uh, and so I have my reports to the board rotate. Why so is do, that important for you? Well, because it, it, we are so, we're, we're so much in a bubble, man. Huh. And um, as, as a church, as, as church, a church our people are in a bubble. They're yeah, just, yeah. and our leaders especially. So, um, so we talk about the trend and then we talk about, so how, how does this going to look differently for us than as a church, if we're going to actually engage? So last night we had this aha moment that atheists, atheists in this, in this uh, research say that they are more interested in and consider themselves more creative than Christians in that survey consider themselves to be. More creative? Yep. Wow. Okay. So we talked about the history of the church and how the church has always throughout history been at the center of creativity in art and music. And today it's not the case. Yeah. And what, what does that mean for us as a church? And, and so people started talking about that. Well, it means we need to do a better job of helping people understand that they are co-creators with God. And we need to provide environments where people can experiment with creativity. Um, and so I'm sitting here having this conversation with my board and I'm going, this is so great. I wonder how many churches are having these kind of conversations, you know? Mm. Instead, we talk about the budget and attendance and all right. you're just like, we got to get past that. So the other thing we do in, our, in every leadership environment is have people own their journey and we give them time to talk about that. So, for example, our board last year um, talked a lot about uh, their individual journey with Jesus and we shared stories every meeting. How's it going between you and Jesus? What are you actually doing? Mm to follow Jesus. How are you reading your Bible? What are you doing in your prayer life? And the beginning of the year was really crickets a lot. <laughs> yeah, all these people were like, no, I thought we were coming in to make uh-huh. decisions. And yep. I thought we were coming in to you yep. know, leverage our wonderful leadership experience from the yes, market. Yes, yes, yes. And make sure our staff does all the things they're supposed to do. Provide some accountability. <laughs> yeah, right. So, by the end of the year, you have people actually talking about what they're doing. We ask two questions in our discipleship methodology. We ask uh, uh, how and how and who. How are you following Jesus, and who are you helping hmm. follow Jesus? Those seem like simple questions on the surface. How yeah. are you following Jesus, and yeah. who are you helping follow Jesus? Yep. How and who? How and who? And they're the same letters. Yeah. Just rearranged. So it's really, it's, it's a marketable thing too. It's really uh, easy for people to remember. And they're like, well, what do you mean how? So you can tell real quickly when someone, when someone answers that, if they're walking with Jesus or not. Yeah, yeah. If they stammer around and give you a long drawn out answer, they're not actually probably following, walking with Jesus in a patterned way. 
Mm. If they can answer that how, they're telling you about their morning devotional time and which book they're in. Or like today, you said, I was in Acts 17 today. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. I, I just use that. That's a standard answer. I'm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't. Every- <laughs> it's a standard answer. I'm an Acts 17 every day. I'm just with a different group of people every day. Yeah, so. right. Just <laughs> just circulating that sermon. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's just I. I don't. I only have ever read Acts 17, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> and the same <laughs> thing is true of the Who. Yeah. Uh, if you're just if you're using general uh, uh, referral about people in general, you're not actually mm-hmm. helping someone. But if you yeah. name a name, yeah. If you name a name like Micah. Or Andrew, um, and you you know that they're they're actually intentionally engaged in helping someone else. Yeah, it's close to their heart. It's 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 at heart level, so that connection to the mouth, you know, what comes out of their mouth very quickly is what's yeah. is what's really close to their heart. And so, yeah. you know that 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 leadership. I, I imagine that has shifted your leadership. And I want to get I want you to give us a quick snapshot of the church. We kind of jumped in talking about the church. Yeah. We're not really giving everybody a frame of reference. But before we, before we leave this topic, I imagine it shifted your role as the senior pastor yeah. in those leadership settings um, significantly on some levels. I mean, it sounds like you're more shepherding your, your leadership, your board, than really kind of being that, you know, organizational CEO. Um, oh, yeah, I... Uh... I'm a missionary maker hmm. in every, and in every environment, my role is to be the chief missionary who, who raises up other missionaries. And so I'm always looking for ways to help people move from where they're at to, to take the next step towards actually engaging fully in the great commission. Go make disciples. That's not just given to church staff. It's not given to church leaders to raise up programs so that happens. It's given to every baptized believer who follows Jesus. Um, And my job is to help get them ready and equip them and ready them and free them to do that. But that's not church as usual. And you didn't plant the church there in Madison. No, I didn't. So you've had to change the, the, the minds. I mean, you've had to change the hearts. I imagine that's not been like the easiest process. So give us no. a little quick snapshot of the church. Yeah. Um, you know, and, then, and then talk to me about that, that, that transition that may still be in process. It, you know. Totally, totally in process. It's never done. Um, this is a long-term, this is a lifetime calling. It's not a, you're not turning the ship around overnight with an existing church. So, I got, I, I came here in 1998 to the church. And uh, so I've just celebrated 20 years here. Um, I came, I followed uh, Pastor Carl Helmer, who is a great you're man. You're in the church in Madison, Wisconsin, right? Yes, it was Christ, Christ Memorial Lutheran Church was where I got my call papers from. And it's uh, a church that was positioned in a neighborhood uh, tucked away. Uh, where nobody could find it. Um, uh, Pastor Carl Helmer was here, and uh, I give him credit. He assembled a group of people that were open to change and uh, willing to try new things. There was some creativity already here. Uh, Had a dynamic drama ministry, for example. Uh, He was here for 35 years when I came. Mm. 
And uh, we knew that the church, in my call documents, it was, we need the church to, to learn how to be a little more outward focused. And we need to kind of turn this ship inside out. And uh, that's, that's when I came. And I came as my first lead pastor role. So I did not have any idea what I was doing. Um, and we just began, we began the journey. And so then I told you my India story. Yeah, yeah. That happened real quick after I got here. Okay. So I actually came here thinking more CEO, leading, leading from on top, leading from above. And India totally messed me up. And I realized that it started with me being a missionary before I could ever help anybody else do it. Mm. And that I, I was raised in the church. My dad's a preacher. I uh, went straight through our system, through Concordia uh, Mequon, and then straight to the seminary. That's the LCMS, right? LCMS, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Yep. And realized that I really had no training in following Jesus. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, um, or helping others do it. Uh, you know, my idea of helping others do it was preaching on Sunday, teaching Bible class and telling people to do what I basically wasn't doing myself. Yeah. Uh, let's pause that because I think that is a, 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 a kind of a, a, an unrecognized, but felt issue beyond LCMS. I think in, in, in every one of our evangelical faith tribes, we have a lot of people who are really good and trained to do Christian church leadership yep. versus really be, what does it look like to be a Christ-like church leader? Yep, totally. So I think, of, I think it's Matthew 12. Mm, I should know this, shouldn't I? I mean, I don't think you're walking. I don't think you're walking real close. <laughs> Jesus is walking with the disciples and they're picking heads yeah. again and the Pharisees yeah. are lurking about and they call them out. And Jesus has this phrase. He says, uh, greater is he who is among you than the temple. And I think, I think we can spend all our time on the temple that we miss Jesus. Wow. We raise money for the temple. We design the temple. We try to fill the temple. We program the temple. We make sure the staff, it's the temple is staffed appropriately. Keep everybody happy in the temple. So we can totally, right. Good luck with that, by the way. <laughs> but we can, we can totally spend all our time on that and miss, it's, it's possible to build a church and not be about the Great Commission. It's possible. And it's happening totally. all over our country. Yeah. And it was happening here. And in some respects, it still happens here. And so we need to call that out and repent of it. And, and in some ways, though, Jeff, those are the churches that from the outside in we call effective because they've got a big crowd. Yep. They've, got, they've got, you know, some of the things. And not all of them. Not all big churches are like, I'm not, I'm not kind of doing that. But I am, I am suggesting that a lot, there's a lot of pastors, maybe even listening right now, who feel like that being missionaries and training people to be missionaries is actually counterproductive to success when it comes to church. Yeah. Because most of the metrics are, you know, attendance buildings and cash, right? Yep. Um, and input. so. Input. Yeah, we yeah. measure inputs, but we don't measure outputs. And you and I know that with our work with Oxano and helping yeah. Church yeah. measure, you know, in the, in the vision frame, that, that was a huge shift for us. 
and close to your heart, right? I mean, that, oh, that yeah. part of, you yes. know, those, that, those missional marks, what does it really truly look like in the individual's lives at our church yep. to grow as a disciple? I know that was a light bulb moment for you, right? Huge, huge. And how do we actually measure that? Yeah. Because those are hard, right? You can't, it's really hard sometimes to measure someone else's spiritual growth if you're not consistent over time and you've not given them a, a framework, right? Well, yeah, and, and we don't measure someone else's. We help people measure their own. Okay. And then we Talk, capture, unpack that a little bit more. So it's not my job to sit in my office and, 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 and measure how people are doing according to our measures. Yeah. It's my job to create an environment and a system by which our people can measure themselves mm. and look at their own life and journey and say, where do I want to grow? Where do I need to grow? And then make a spiritual growth plan uh, to get there and, and have accountability to get there. Now it's a whole different ballgame. So you're providing resources and accountability. Yes. But really turning over that, hey, listen, it is, it is your job to grow spiritually, not mine. Yes. My job is to create the environments and the, um, the ethos, if you will, the culture mm -hmm. where we provide you with resources to tap into where you want to grow. So come back around because, again, that's counterintuitive to kind of modern church culture. Probably not the easiest, you know, in, in transition. I mean, you're, you're kind of turning in some, in some respects, you know, the church outside in. I mean, you're really kind of, you know, kind of turning it, turning it inside out. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, outside, I like that. It's outside in each individual person so that it can be inside out. Yeah. We have, we have so programmed our churches to try to be outward focused, but we're still not helping individuals engage their mission field the way that we need to in this. And it's coming. I mean, we're going to have to because the programs aren't working anymore. They're not drawing the crowds. I mean, there's a few churches that are drawing crowds, but. Yeah. I mean, whether they're just, whether they're just drawing crowds for, for entertainment purposes yeah. Uh, as another venue that makes people feel better than maybe than a football game or, or something like that versus yeah. really kind of centers of, of transformation and life change where people are challenged to grow. Um, yeah. And so, and so I think, I think I see that. I think there's a sense inside of me, Jeff, that I, I kind of feel like we've reached everybody we're going to reach with our programs at this point. Yeah. Like, you know, that, that anyone who's, curious about the church and kind of stumbles in um, the greater influence, not that that won't happen, but to me, the greater influence and in the work I see with churches across the country is, is people living as missionaries. Exactly what you're talking about. There's, there's more. And, and I, I know that I'm going to use a polarizing word. There's more attractiveness to the church through her people through, through, you know, like you said, I'm looking out the window of my office right now at the cul-de-sac on our street. Like there's more, the people on my cul-de-sac are going to be drawn to the church more through me than yeah. they are a flyer, yep. than they are a big Easter. So, I mean, nobody's coming on Easter anymore unless they're already a member of the church, right? Yeah. So one of my pivotal stories was when I got back from India, uh, that next October, we, we're, and I'm going to step on some toes here too. Um, so here we go. But Amy and I were driving out of our cul-de-sac to go to the church, which is 15-minute drive away. So yeah. our church location is a good 15-minute drive. 
And we were driving out of our cul-de-sac as all of our neighbors were going out for trick-or-treating because we were going to trunk or treat. Right, on campus at our church, right? On campus at our church. That somehow opening our trunks in our parking lot and giving away candy, we were just going to reach hundreds of souls for Jesus. And they were going to just love our church because they loved our trunks. I mean, it just, it, and we were driving there. We're going, all of our neighbors are coming out and we're driving out away from them. Our porch light is what off. What is wrong with this? Yeah. So the next October, we put on a pot of chili, invited our neighbors over, and we all hung out. And now that we've done that for the last yeah. 20 years. And that's just one way that we've engaged our neighbors. But um, we would much rather be here than there. I think I, this is a personal rant. And so, you know, uh, I don't want to indulge too much. But I think Halloween is the most evangelical night of the year. Oh, man, everybody's because, out. And, and everybody comes to your house if you don't have kids. If you do have kids, you go. So we complain about nobody knows our neighbors. You know, church leaders like, our, my people don't know their neighbors. They're not engaging in conversation. Yet we take some very pivotal moments, Super Bowl parties, Halloween. I mean, the places where it's most natural to engage your neighbors. And we're having our little holy huddles but complaining because our people aren't, you know, and so it's, it's one of those right. paradigm shifts that again, it's an outside in thinking in order to be inside out in our movement. It's, we have to think with missionary minds to go outside in and then equip our people and train them uh, with missionary skills to go inside out. I, you and I just wrote the next book, Jeff. Yep. Utilize, utilize the moments that are already there. You don't have to create right. anything new. Yeah. Not to proselytize, not to give them flyers, not to try to get them to come to your church. And I mean, if the spirit is leading that way and they're open and they're asking, great. But our job is not to get them to come to church. Our job is to help them see Jesus. And that's only going to start by building trust and relationship. So, Hey, give me a defining day in the last five years of church ministry for you. Give me one of those moments that, you know, in the last few years, it was just like kind of, you've been there 20 years now. So let's look at this, this kind of, um, this yeah. most recent season. Um, I would say it was August, August of 2016. Be specific if you can. I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> August of 2016, I walked into my staff retreat and I was a mess. Mm-hmm. I, um, Why? I was burned out. I was, I was tired of the battle because it's a battle to get people to think differently and to yeah. experience. We had lost some people. All this we're talking about had, yeah. had taken its toll. I didn't want to make that shift. It was hard. Uh, uh, so because people left, there was money challenges. Worship attendance was down a little bit. I mean, people don't necessarily want to own their journey. I would say in, in the most part, most <laughs> people don't. They want you to own their they journey. Want, they want me to entertain them and keep yeah. them yeah. well fed. Whatever that means. Well fed. And, and we, we, want, we, want to, we just want to be fed, Pastor. Amy and I, Amy and I were at a place of uh, feeling like the church had become a little bit idolatrous. Um, what do you mean? I mean, well, this was two years ago. Um, yeah. There was such an over-dependence on Jeff's voice. Mm. Um, we didn't like when the other preachers preached. Uh, we wanted to hear Jeff preach. I was raising up preachers, lay preachers. Um, laymen who are not ordained. Got, that got me in trouble with our district. You know, all sorts of things are swirling. And I walked into my staff and I said, I'm resigning my call. Mm. 
And uh, my staff was like, what? And we had a long discussion and they came up with the idea of, would you be willing to try a sabbatical? So that was August. Uh, the long and short of that is I began a six-month sabbatical away from the local church in November of 2016. And I returned in May of 2017. So you know the church calendar. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the heart November, of the... November yeah. through May is Christmas and Easter. Yeah. With the lead pastor who had been there for, at that point, 18 years. Wow. Um, so, and I didn't know if I was coming back. I didn't know if they'd want me back. Um, you mean you mean because you had been gone yeah. during that during kind of like the most critical season? Yeah, and they were so maybe you know yep. hyper dependent on you. Yep. I wouldn't recommend it, and at the same time, I would recommend it because that's the most that's the most important visible time for the lead pastor. We think is yeah. during seasons, right? Um, yeah, I mean most sabbaticals are like. June and July, like the safe yeah, time. Where no one misses you. Because nobody's there anyway. Right. And the youth guys, right. the youth guys preaching anyway, you know. Well, we were determined as a team, as the leadership team and the board and the elders. Uh, you know, we went through a process from August yeah. to November to get that. I didn't just leave. Um, and we were <laughs> you didn't just go like, peace out, I'm taking a sabbatical. It doesn't yeah. work like that. <laughs> we were determined that... Um, we needed to remove my voice so the church could find its true voice and its true vision and mission. Did they really own our, our vision frame or was it just Jeff's? Was it just Jeff's imposed on them? Did they really own it? Right. And what happened, I mean, it's such a pivotal moment. Um, We lost, we lost some families. I, I, I would say we lost, we lost some families that didn't, um, didn't really own the vision and mission. And when we left, they're like, okay, Jeff's leaving, we're out. Yeah, we put that in terms of an Oxano tool, that's the lower room identity on personality, yeah. right? Oh. They were connected with you, yeah. your personality, your leadership. When you stepped away, they disconnected totally. because they weren't connected to something higher. So after 18 years, well, actually our vision frame with Jim Randall, it was our navigator. Yeah. Um, was 2006 when we landed on that. Right, vision. right. So it had been about 10 proper. years at that point. Yeah, and our vision proper was, we did it two years later. We did it a little bit different. We did it in 2008. Okay. Um, and so we've been living this for, you know, 10 years. Yeah. Still a battle for it. Hmm. It doesn't happen overnight. At least it hasn't in our context. So that was a challenge to really see where people are at. And, and when we came back, there were other people that didn't want us to come back. <laughs> they left. They're like, we're good. We're good. You, yep. you know, guy, you, coming back, we're out. And uh, very hard season. Very, mm-hmm. very hard. Reentry was. I would think that's got a that's got a mess with everything that makes, in some senses, a a, a a lead pastor effective in the teaching and preaching ministry, is like that connection with the people that people feel connected to you, that there is that voice and that there is that, that strength, but, but, but the inability to transfer that moment on Sunday to something bigger, like that, that would kind of fuel a lot of us, you know, the ego side of us. I mean, I'm there. I mean, like I, I would like to be liked. I would like to, and then on the flip side, you know, it would, I would, I would like not like to be disliked. Like, Oh, okay. So you guys aren't going to stay because I'm back. Like, Yeah. Yep. 
Like, how do you, how do you, how do you survive that, Jeff? How do, how do you get back up in the pulpit knowing that, that man, some people left because, I mean, I, I, that's got That's got to be rough. I can't imagine. There's too much yellow in me on the inside yeah, scale was, to be able to handle that. Difficult, and some days it's still difficult. But here's here's, I've I've I was so honored by our leaders that I I felt compelled when they asked me to come back and that they wanted me to come back and they believed in the vision frame and where we were headed and the kind of church that we were trying to lead. And they wanted training. They wanted to be missionaries. I would, and hearing the, they fought for the vision during the sabbatical. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can imagine what happened when my voice was pulled out. Yeah. Those who felt that they didn't have a voice suddenly felt they had it. And Woo-hoo, we can do what we want now. You know, our leaders fought. Yeah. For and that's um, awesome. I felt like I wanted to honor them by coming back. So I think one of my answers to your question is how do I, do it. I keep looking at those leaders and go, you know what? They, they fought for this. So mm. I'm in it. I'm in it with them. I'm in it to win it, you know, and um, I'm not going to give up on them. So yeah. that keeps me going. I think the, the constant love and support of my wife has kept me going. Um, she has been a rock. I think um, my staff, the way that they have hung in there with me, um, and been patient with me. If they listen to this podcast, I hope they hear how much I love them, and I'm willing to go to war with them because they went they went with me without me. Um, mm. They fought some battles. Oh my gosh! I think of how Emily led this church. Our youth director led the church while I was gone, and how Pastor Matt stepped up and found his voice, and how Karen, our preschool director, and Jess stepped in, and Elsa stepped in, and rallied and and um yeah i so i look at those guys and go i'm with you and yet you know because of you know my role at, with oxano and yeah the- just inside baseball you you're kind of what we would call a network navigator you're in a full-time pastoral role but yet you still serve churches sometimes on the on the on the off days and the weekends vacation you take vacation days to go serve other churches and so, well, yeah. And sometimes I take work days. I, yeah. uh, I leave the church. I'm probably there 50% of the time. And so that's hard. It's still hard for our team yeah. to want there, to want to know that I'm, I'm in it. So my, my vocational first love is the church. Um, but I believe that what we're experiencing and what we're learning together, um, is beneficial to the broader church. And so I feel called to share that. Meaning that the experience you're having serving churches outside the walls and other areas makes you a better leader and, and, and makes the church better rather than just being, again, in this closed system that you don't really get any of that exposure. Right. Plus, I believe like conversations we're having here are helpful to others. So it, yeah. it, it's a two-way blessing. Yeah. Uh, I bless other churches, but then when I'm with other churches, I get blessed. Mm to come back and share those learnings with, with our, with our people. Um, we're kind of a, a greenhouse, you know, we're, what do you mean? we're, we're kind of uh, planting little plants and we're learning and we're experimenting <laughs> with stuff and we're stumbling around and learning and falling on our faces and having people leave and it's hard. And then we have some success. And I mean, I think churches need to be more like that. I think we need to be. Why? 
I, I just, because I, I don't think any of us have lived this in this kind of culture before. Yeah. We've lived in a church culture and now we're in a post-church or even pre-church culture and we don't even know what to do. So a lot of what we got to do is just free people up to experiment. It seems like there's a little bit of risk involved or a lot of risk involved in that. I mean, you've got to, you've got to redefine again, success and failure beyond kind of what's typical. And you've got to get buy-in on your leaders to do that. Right. I mean, you've got to get leadership to buy into the common call of success versus kind of, I mean, fretting over another family. I mean, I can imagine those conversations. Hey pastor, there's another family that's gone and we, you know, what are we going to do? So yeah. Brian, here, here, talk about an ego taking a hit. <laughs> I got here in 1998, and we have about the same number in worship attendance as we did then. And every time I bring that up and I'm beating myself up for it, my dear wife, Amy, goes, yeah, but how many missionaries do we have now as opposed to then? Mm. That people can answer the how and the who question. Yeah. How many life groups that are our missional communities do we have now opposed to then where people yeah. are living in community with each other every week? You know, um, so there are how different people have you sent. How many people have you sent right. to, to go live missionally? And even the, ones, even the ones who have left because they were upset. Uh, we still trust in the word that plants seeds and their life's a little different today than it was yeah. 20 years ago. And maybe they're engaging neighbors differently. So it's a kingdom measure. It's not a church measure anymore. And we've got to measure kingdom things. So that's harder. And it doesn't fit neatly into this little package. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't hold up well against other churches either, right? When we play oh, the comparison. Oh, man, you walk into some, hey, how many... You know, you walk into some uh, pastor's conference and they're asking, how many come to your church, you know? Yeah, yeah. What you running now, brother? How many do you worship on a weekend? Well, we worship one in three persons. (laughs) That's an annoying answer. Oh, yeah, smart guy. (laughs) Here's Mr. Jesus. Yeah. Hey, I know know that the concept of, of blessing others because you have some of those freedoms and, and that was, was even multiplied even more, maybe in a way that was unexpected to you just because you and I are friends and we, we've journeyed alongside each other for a while now. Um, along in, in that sabbatical moment, you know, you started writing, right? I mean, you started putting some thoughts together uh, and, and this book I'm holding in my hand, Fear Not, Dream Big and Execute um, was a result of that time. Yep. Tell me a little bit more about that. What, what was it that, that, that God did that he, that he prompted in there. Cause I know you didn't really set out, like I'm going to go on the sabbatical and I'm going to, I'm going to go write a book. Right. That wasn't the no, goal. No. Furthest thing from my mind. Yeah. I just started um, writing every day. Yeah. Um, I had a, uh, uh, a brother in Christ here who encouraged me to open the vein and let it bleed. Um, oh. in other words, write, <laughs> write when you're in pain. And so uh, I was in pain in the sabbatical. I didn't know if I was going to be coming back. I didn't know a lot of things. So I just started writing what I did know for sure. And I wrote, I just wrote daily some lessons on leadership and life and what I needed to be reminded of. And I just started writing. And, and then eventually 
some people that I was really close to said, man, this is some really good stuff. You need to put this together in a book. And so it started as 92, um, 92 things was the original title. And I was going to, I was going to publish it uh, at the hundredth anniversary of the Reformation. That would be a good Lutheran thing to do, right? Um, ninety-two things for ninety-two for a hundred. For the ninety-two the- or ninety-five things. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ninety-five theses, and then okay. Uh, I was going to say you, yeah, you're three off. short. Were you, were you just kind of? Yeah. Maybe you need to go back yeah. into your Lutheran history. Yeah. Go back through Lutheran history just a little bit more. Concordia, Concordia didn't teach you. Yeah. And I, I'm getting tripped up because then it got trimmed to, and, and someone was telling me, 95 is too much, brother. <laughs> There's no way we were going to get it done by uh, the 100th anniversary, which was uh, last October. So I, um, or October ago. Right. So I trimmed it to 72. That's where I got the 92 mixed up. Yeah. yeah 72, yeah. trimmed it to 72, working with the 72 that went out, you know, and then working with Will Mancini, uh, you know, our boss and, uh, my friend, I had him read the book and he suggest one of his suggestions was let's get it down to 60. Let's get it in two sections of 30 has 30 works, 30 days in a month, you know, and 30, 30. And so that's where it landed. And then the title changed to, uh, permission granted. And then I noticed there were too many books with that title. So yeah. it changed to this title. Anyway, the, the whole idea of the book is um, they're, they're bite-sized lessons with try this sections. You'll see my, you'll see my training um, mindset yeah. in there versus my teaching mindset. Yeah. Rather than just dump a bunch of content on yeah. here and not give anything, there's the try yeah. this moment at the end of every, every one I'm of not these. I'm interested little. in transactional yeah. transaction information transaction. I mean, I'm interested in transformational moments. So um, they're bite-sized. They're not in order. You can jump around the two sections. The first section is um, called Dream Sparks, and the second is Realization Strategies. So if you're struggling with finding a dream, the first section will be really helpful. If you're struggling, you have a dream, but you're struggling executing on it, then the second half of the book yeah. will be helpful. I've but, been hanging out in the second half, by the way. So. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, you're a dreamer. Um, yeah. That, that's my favorite section too, because I'm a dreamer, but I have a hard time um, being disciplined enough. Yeah. To execute. So right, right here on, on, uh, on page 148, here's what I have highlighted. Three things that have helped me and will help you write. Cause I'm stuck on a couple writing projects right now. Number two, write only for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that is the hardest thing for me is I write for I write for what's Will going to think about when he reads it. I write for what, are, yeah. you know, what is the average pastor going to think. I write for the, the theologian who's going to argue with me. And I don't ever profess to be a, a deep theologian. And so, I mean, I write with all these other voices in my head. And it really, I had somebody tell me a couple of weeks ago, you're not writing like you talk. You're yeah. writing like someone else. And, yes. and I'm like, well, you know can I put all those jokes in there? Can I put all that in there? So <laughs> we're all uh, tied. Yeah. 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 Tied <laughs> well, I mean, let's not talk about that right now. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> too soon. It's too soon. Sorry to brain hold on, brother. Yeah. Too soon. Um, yeah. And so that's how this book started. I was just yeah. writing for myself. Um, and, and that's, and there's the risk for an, any author that's writing for themselves is at some point, if you're going to publish, you're putting yourself out there. You're, it's a, it's a vulnerable mm. move because wow. you're people in behind the curtain and that can be risky. Yeah. And it has been risky. Um, there've been some things people didn't like to read in here that, you know, so yeah, write for yourself. 
Can you give us an example of something that somebody didn't like to read? Oh, I think um, just like somebody might not want to listen to this podcast that has been part of the church because uh, they don't want to talk about the sabbatical, that mm. it, still hurt, it still hurts them. Yeah. Um, there are some people that, are, that were deeply hurt by us leaving, um, and they're still dealing with their pain, and they see it differently than I do. Um, uh, talking about some of my vulnerability and some of the stuff that gets in my head and it's hard to get out. Um, people don't like to know that about their leaders sometimes. They like to think their leaders are strong. and. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting thing. They have their, the leaders have it all together and they have all the answers. And some of my best ministry leadership moments are when I didn't have the answer. <laughs> and I walked into a room and said, guys, I have no idea hmm. where we're going or what to do next. And then I, I facilitated a conversation, which I think is where my giftedness is. And that's why I excel at, doing what I do with Oxano is because I'm in a room not given answers. Yeah. I'm in a room leading conversations and facilitating conversations. And, and yet how many of our leaders out there, and if I could talk to your listeners for a minute, how many leaders are feeling the pressure of having to have that breakthrough moment in their pocket or have that one insight that's going to sh- turn the ship around or have that one answer that's going to, Oh, finally, I have the right, the, I'm the leader that has the right answer that's going to turn this church around and have a breakthrough. You don't have it, guys. The body has it as they follow Jesus. So let's help people follow Jesus. Let's facilitate conversation and dialogue, and we will discover it together. That's it. I mean, look, <laughs> you know, I've got nothing to say after that. That is oh. a pastor pastoring. Um, that is a, a leader. Uh, leading in in a way that I think models Christ's leadership. Christ was, um, yeah, it just Jesus was was much more full of questions for his followers than answers. Yeah. In fact, that was frustrating. And yeah. Jesus couldn't hold a crowd, by the way. So for all the other pastors that I mean, I you know, him. Jesus couldn't hold the crowd. Why are do you, we think are you going to leave too? Yeah, yeah. Why Lord, do we think we have to? Right, Lord, to whom shall we go? You know. Um, yeah, but but we we've, we've got this thing, this mentality that if we're doing things right, we're going to draw a crowd. But you look at the New Testament, and that's not—I don't know—it's not what happened when Jesus was preaching and teaching. He, he had hard teaching, and yeah, on six, and many left him. He started talking about body and blood and eating body and blood, and wow, this is a hard teaching. We're we're out of here. And <laughs> in, in Acts fourteen. Uh, I'm reading through Acts right now. I thought all you did was Acts 17. Yeah, yeah, I know. Paul, when Paul was encouraging the churches, he was coming back through visiting the churches that he had planted. And his word for them was, hang in there. And this is my translation. It was, hey, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. Be persistent. Be faithful. He wasn't saying like, hey, you guys are doing such a great job. Look, you're blowing out this house. You got to go find another house. Yeah, you got a room out of the house. Can you multi-house? You know, or we have a building program. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, it was. Hey, this is going to be hard. Yeah, I think of. uh, I'm I'm teaching Ephesians right now in our 2:22 time. Yeah. Um, By the way, that's our adult Bible class. 2:22 is from Second Timothy 2:2. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, which gives you a little bit of an understanding of our overall 
tone at the church. But yeah. uh, we Sunday we were talking about, you know, you read the book of Ephesians and it's just this glorious summary of the Christian life and all that. But then we start looking at what was going on in Ephesus, you know, at the time and how hard it was for the believers that there probably started, there's probably 12 believers for two or three years there when Paul came back and he trained them in the, he took them out of the synagogue and went into the lecture hall with those, those small group of disciples. And then we see what happens with the silversmith who was raising money because he was selling, you know, little idols of Artemis and Ephesus and that blew up and they wanted to, they wanted to throw him on a dodge because uh, the, the Christian movement, the Jesus movement was upsetting the economic yeah. uh, system yeah. of the city as much as it was the spiritual. And it just, it's hard. It is difficult to lead the Jesus way today. Mm-hmm. We're upsetting the economic system of our people when we start calling for tithing and honoring Jesus with your, your income and carving out time every day to be with him. And, you know, we're busy. I got to go to work. And, you know, so everything gets turned upside down and it's a hard lesson to teach. And as I read it, um, it's only going to get harder. Yep. And I think that's, I think that's the heart that, that we lead with is, is leading into that storm, leading into that, that the reality of, of what's ahead. So Jeff, yeah. I appreciate your, your heart for leaders, your heart for your people and the shift um, to think and act as missionaries and ask the hard questions and the, the how and the who uh, are, really, uh, are really powerful notions there. I end every podcast with three specific questions I ask everybody. And so I'm going to engage you on, on those here as we wrap. What's one daily or regular habit you practice that keeps you close to the heart of God? So I guess that's the how question, right? Yeah. Uh, what's one daily or regular habit you practice that keeps you close to the heart of God? I talk about this in the book. Um, every morning I do uh, what's called savers, S-A-V-E-R-S. I spend time in silence. That's the S. And I, I use um, uh, the, uh, I'm drawing a blank now on the name of it. I use it all the time, but it's Headspace, the Headspace app. Okay. Myself how to focus and to breathe. And then I spend time with a Praise You Go app which is a Jesuit, um, a Jesuit, Catholic Jesuit um, using Lectio Divina. They read scripture and I listen to it audibly. So I don't read the scripture. I listen to it. Why is that important for you to listen instead because of? Because I read it all the time. I read it for yeah. study. I, read it. I need something different for me to make mm-hmm. it more personal. So I use the Praise You Go app. Um, and then the, you know, you can read more about what Saber stands for. But that's yeah. something I do that I do every I try to do every day. I, I'm not always faithful, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it but, sounds like you started off those first two. It's, it's kind of interesting that the, the kind of slowing your mind down and kind of, and the head spe- getting in kind of that, that mental mode. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm probably like a lot of folks. I just jump right in. Like what's, you know, whether I'm on my Bible app or whether one of those things. And then, then I'm like, <clears throat> then I'm reading. I'm not listening. I, I interviewed Kelly uh, Canwisher. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. And she said she writes, like she just rewrites the scripture yeah. because she, you know, she reads it so much and some of those things. So how did you discover that? Or was that just something that somebody told you or? No, it's uh, it's in the mm-hmm. book, um, The Miracle Morning. 
See, I've jumped around in the book, so I haven't read that yet. But The Miracle Morning, is that lesson? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that's, that's his deal. It's not mine, but it really helped me um, have, a, have a structure to my morning. Yeah. Hey, if you could go back to your first year of ministry and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Wow. Um, one thing. Don't uh, make sure you're living what you're going to lead. Make sure you're living what you're going to lead. Yep. Why? Um, sometimes we lead without actually living it. And that's not, it lacks integrity and it's not the disciple making way. Hmm. Disciples of Jesus follow. Be, in other words, don't worry so much about being a leader. Be a follower. Love it. Leaders need to follow and we follow Jesus. And too often we focus on all these leadership lessons and we try to uh, exercise our leadership muscle. We need to focus more on just following. Leaders follow first. Yep. It's good. Hey, is there one book beside Fear Not, Dream Big and Execute by Jeff Meyer? <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> on ISBN, Amazon, by the way. IS, ISBN number 9780692. No. Um, <laughs> is there one book you consistently recommend or give as a gift? Um, don't say the Bible. No, no. Well, yeah, I mean, so, uh, Julia Cameron's book called the artist's way is one I go to frequently. She's got a number of them. Um, it's not a Christian book. It is a spiritual book, but that's where I learned uh, about morning pages and writing three pages every morning. That's what really got, got me started writing. And it, that helped unlock so many things that were in my head and in my heart and get it on paper to actually consider it. So Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. It's not a book. It's actually a, it's actually a program in a, in a book. So it's a 12-week program or process of really discovering your own innate creativity. Mm. Good. Jeff Meyer, thanks for sharing your heart. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your story uh, with our folks and uh, encouraging uh, those pastors out there that are walking, um, maybe not today, but but maybe soon uh, in similar steps. So appreciate you being on My Ministry Breakthrough. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Thank you for listening to My Ministry Breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to myministrybreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.